Good morning. This feels so auspicious up here. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's just good to be with family and friends here at Harbor. I can't walk across campus without having those, hey, how are you? Whoa, look at that. Hey, look, he's still alive. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, is a, it is a blessing. I'm thankful to Mike Cope and the team that works with him so hard um, to, to make Harbor happen, to help it to be the, the blessing to all of us uh, that it is. And I also want to recognize our university that continues to say this is important for the church. But the folks that really make Harbor happen are y'all. Uh, it'd be pretty lonely in here, in an empty building or, or down in the field house. So I hope you take time to encourage uh, other folks as you see them. Uh, my goal for this week is to make it a, uh, a negative-free zone. Now, that mean, doesn't mean we can't pray with each other, but sometimes we just get so in the mood of, oh boy, um, is there anybody th th here who would confess to maybe over the last couple of years gotten a little more gripey? Can I, can I, can I get a show? Can we? All right. I'm going to sing just as I am and you can come right down, uh, but I'll be there ahead of you because it is so easy to fall into moments of frustration. And uh, I used to serve with a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and as a way of kind of getting into where we're heading, um, the eldership would begin the meetings with something that they simply called prayer request. And so there were 12 elders there at the time I was first working with them. And we would start around the circle as each meeting began, and each person would share. Now, typically, what they were sharing was a brief story. Maybe it was just two or three sentences. You know, Elizabeth Johnston's cancer has come back. And her husband just tore up about it. And the kids are trying to decide how to help their mom with what's next. Can we pray for them? Somebody else would say, oh, the Stevens have decided they're, they're leaving. They're going to go down to Central because they just feel like it's a better fit for the etc., etc." And we would go around the circle. Bob has lost his job. Susan's parents are divorcing, and she's trying to help them negotiate that. A family lost a baby uh, while it was still in the mom's womb. And by the time we get through 12 guys uh, telling two or three of those kind of stories each, you can imagine what the joyous feeling in the room was and how ready we were to lean into the future and, you know, and, and get excited about what was next. Uh, of course, unfortunately, it was pretty much the opposite. We all were saying, Lord, come quickly. Uh, this is just the pain, the agony. Please don't hear me say that those painful stories aren't important. But I realized as I shared with them that I found myself less and less feeling capable, uh, feeling uh, able and more feeling overwhelmed. Can I get a oh yeah from anybody who understands that when you share those things? And so we started a new tradition. Uh, I said, I'm, I want to ask you when we come into our meeting, if we could to start with what we'd call a good God moment. Just a moment of stopping and saying, what is something good that God has done in the lives of somebody maybe in your flock as our congregation was divided up so the elders could be more attuned to the needs of the, quote, flock by having a, a smaller set of people. Uh, we had, I don't know, 800 or 900 in the congregation, and so they'd have 100 
or so that they were, or fewer actually, that they were kind of connecting to. Well, the next meeting came around and we started around and one of them said, oh, I, I for, I'm sorry, I forgot we were doing this. Uh, and I said, that, that's okay, that's all right, hey, we'll go to the next one. And the next one said, you know, well, I tell you what, uh, remember Tommy Johnson who had had such a difficulty with uh, drugs? He has made a huge turnaround. I was just talking to his mom and she asked us to praise God for that, that he has been able to walk away from that and da 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 And we all were like, wow, that's awesome. And, and, and three or four more others, you know, had stories. And one of them said, I don't, I don't have anything. And I said, well, that's okay. I'm sure you will by the next meeting. I said, here's what I'd ask you to do. Start asking people for good stories. Start asking people for something we can praise God for. Well, when the next meeting came around, that fellow who said, oh, I didn't get my homework done, he was there. So I want to go first. I've got three. And, 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 and our elders began to become good news collectors. Now, is there anybody here who has served as an elder before in a, in a church who would confess it in a room of this nature? All right. Being an elder often feels like working for the DMV. People only come to see you when they have a problem. And they will corner you or grab you and say, hey, you know, this, I didn't like this, or why are we doing this? But as our shepherds began, became people who were gathering good news, people started going to them to, hey, I've got a good, a good God story for you. I've got a good God story for you. Stories have great power. And the type of stories that we collect, the type of stories that we repeat, their power is multiplied. Now, I know the young man, I'm forgetting the name of the fellow who was speaking here right before, if any of you were in the class. Taylor and I talked about the fact that uh, he was talking about stories today, and my uh, series for today and tomorrow is all about stories, the parables of Jesus. So uh, we, we shared a little bit, and I know some of the things that he shared with you. We're going to come at it from a different direction, but there is an, an overlap here. And the overlap is in the power of story. If I can invite you to a bit of homework, while you're here at Harbor, be a good God storyteller and a good God story collector. In fact, let's just practice for a moment. I want you just to tell a two or three sentence story to somebody behind you, in front of you, next to you, that is something good that God has done in your life or somebody else's. Now, let me give you a moment to think of something, because surely all of us have something good we can tell, right? My dad used to say back in the days of digital clocks, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So there's something that you could say, I'll explain it to the young ones later, there is something that you could say, surely that is something good God has done. So just let's take a moment of practicing both sharing and remembering. On your mark, get set, go. Just take a second. Do that right now. Turn around to somebody. If there's not somebody close, introduce yourself to somebody.
Oh, I owe you a story, is that it? Oh, <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My son has had two number ones. Shut and up. And he's still in the music business. Wow. Which the Burton song, that was really cool. Oh. What were his two? Uh, Jimmy Allen. Uh, everywhere but on Matt Still, one of those play songs. Or the, uh, it's called Jimmy Allen. Everywhere but on. Okay. All right. Well, that is. Wow. Wow. Good to see you, too. Does Paul still remember your name? No. <laughs> All right, okay. Hey, 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 enough of that positive encouragement. We've had all that. We can handle now. Let's get back to those of you who heard Brother Preacher last night. The church is falling apart. Uh, two quick questions. One, how did it feel to hear a good news story? Just shout out some words. How did it feel to hear it? Good. Great. Strengthening encouraging positive well awesome by the way isn't that how we'd like to describe how people would feel when they come to our congregations so maybe we need a little uh, program in the lobby right <laughs> of good storytellers second how did it feel to tell something good to somebody else good made you smile do what heartwarming it felt good to tell it now let me take you over to the Keck Science Center and tell you what the folks in the brain research says. They say that the more often we repeat a story, it begins to be stored in our brain. It's, it's almost like a little path in the woods. The first time you, you walk it, if you were, say, you over on Grandpa's farm and there was a little path there and the weeds had begun to grow. Every time you walk it, you trample down a few more weeds, you knock back a few more of the branches and it becomes easier and easier to go down it every time we tell a story our brains store that story anew in fact you can actually take a lie detector test and if you've told a certain story about your family say enough times and your spouse says it wasn't Christmas it was Thanksgiving no, 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 it was, it was Thanksgiving. You can take a lie detector test and pass it saying it was Christmas when it actually was Thanksgiving because your brain, every time you tell the story, it says, okay, 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 that's important, okay. And it moves it to the top of the file. Now, all of us who have come to a certain place in life know what it's like to look in the files to try and find something. A name sometimes a word sometimes a person sometimes one of your grandkids and you're just you know you're just just trying to find it and pull it out every time you tell a positive story your brain is storing that and making it easier for you to tell again unfortunately every time you tell a different kind of story every time you tell that i tell you i'm just so sick of story Every time you tell that story of the way that person, it makes that story rise to the top as well. So thanks to 
some of the brain researchers who are helping us to understand why stories have such power. I want to tell you two things about me and my wife, and then two things about Jesus, and then I want to give you a lens that maybe we can use over the next two days to think about the power of Christ's story, Christ's stories, and how they might not only bless us, but give us a clear vision of the love of God. Let's take a moment in prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the way you care for us. Thank you for the power of stories and for how they enrich and sweeten our lives. God, for the next couple of mornings, I, I ask your blessings on Taylor as he shares about a vision of the restoration story and the restoration spirit. God, I'm, I'm so thankful, not only for him, but for all the speakers and teachers uh, who are here, the panelists, our keynotes. And Father, for all these good brothers and sisters who've come, some of them a long, long way, just to be encouraged, may we be good storytellers and receivers this week. And come, Lord Jesus, for that is a story we have told and told and told and can't wait for it to be something we live out. And in the name of Jesus, we all pray and say, amen. Okay, two things about me and my wife. First off, I love a good story. I actually teach a class here at Pepperdine for freshmen called The Power of Story. I love stories, well, for a lot of reasons. My dad told stories. But I love stories because of the way they capture people's attention. Stories are primal. If you've got to share something with someone that you want them to remember, there are two basic ways we can go about that. We can do it by sharing a list. You know, here are the things you need to do, or here are the things you need to remember. Or we can manage to put it to them in a story. Now, when you put it to somebody in a story, it is, as the science folk tell us, more easy to retrieve than a list. Why? It's part of the way we think about life. It's also part of the way we're built, the way I think God designed the system. Lists are not natural to us. We have to work at it. We have to remember. You know why there's seven numbers in a phone number? Because a bunch of years ago they did research and said people can remember seven. But you get to eight and nine, it starts falling off the page. Which is why now that we have to remember the area code as well, Praise God for cell phones, right? We don't know anybody's number. We just know their name and hit the button. And we talk to students about uh, when they go in for an uh, interview. Uh, I tell them, everybody when, is going to get this softball question. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What are most students, unfortunately, going to do? Well, I was a, a junior high. Uh, I was the head of my softball team, and I was the president of my class in my sophomore year in high school. And I won the uh, uh, award for uh, most improved student in basketball. And, 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 and. And it all just flows off the back and right out of the brain of the interviewer. But if you have a good story about yourself, about your life, even if it's a, 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 a story you think, well, I don't know if this is really mad, I'm telling you, as they're going back through those pages, they're not going to remember, but they're going to see your name and go, this was the guy who raised the llama, right? Did, wasn't this that guy? He was, we need to bring him back because the story will stick.
stories are Velcro-covered. They are Velcro-covered because we not only hear them, we see them. When I told you about that elders meeting a minute ago, some of you went there in your head. You could see those gentlemen sitting around that table. And because of that, that story is much more likely to be remembered than any list of principles or abstract things that I might share with you. Okay, I, I could go a long way on stories, but let me just say, if you want to teach your grandchildren, stories. Stories are remembered, and also, stories are easy to pass on. All the things my grandma taught me, uh, I, I, it'd be hard for me to say, well, let's see, what were they? But when she told the story about sitting in the back of a wagon and holding a mandolin, when her family was traveling from one little town in Texas to another, she was raised in a foreign country, uh, when Texas, from one, one little town to another, and how her family, when they arrived at the town, uh, th th for somehow they got called the OK Singers, and uh, they'd start the shout, the OK Singers are here, the OK Singers are here. And her mom always wanted her to start playing the mandolin so that as they came into town, they'd come in with music. <sighs> it's been 60 plus years since the first time I heard that story. But I can still see that wagon, can't you? And that little girl on the back playing that mandolin. She taught me a lot about first impressions. She taught me a lot about the power of joy in music. All through just a, a story. Now, the good news is that story is so easy for me to carry, I can tell that to my kids and to my grandkids. In fact, some would suggest, here's a rather more bellicose way of talking about it, stories are like sticky smart bombs with handles for easy carrying. When somebody puts a story in your mind, it sticks. And stories have a way of bouncing back right at the right time. Mom gives the keys to the kid for the first time, or dad does. But before they do, mom says, I want you to know that a lady I know had a son who the first time he drove his brother to school, they ran a stop sign. And a fella coming the other way, wasn't looking up, hit him, killed them both. I love you, and I love your brother. She could have said, be careful, be careful. Yeah, mom, I know. Be careful. Watch for the time. Yeah, I know, mom. But what do you think that boy was thinking about first time he pulled up to a stop sign? I'm not going to pull out there and be like, that story exploded in his head. And when his brother said, man, you're driving so slow. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> mom knows this person that. And the story went down through the ages in the family. That's why movies are so powerful for us. I love stories. Second thing I need to tell you is my wife loves love stories. How do I know this? Because I have sat on the couch during COVID <laughs> and said, baby, you want to watch something? Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw this. Go for it. And off to the Hallmark Channel <laughs> or one of the other channels, A&E or whatever we'd go. And I realized they're all the same movie. 
the elements of the story are not that different. And I could kind of predict the ending, and sure enough, that's how it would end. But my sweet wife was such a beautiful picture of being swept up into it. It was a lens for her into something much deeper. I, yeah, I can't help, help myself. Let me tell it fast. As a, as a younger man, when I was working at the church in Orange County, the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, <coughs> I came home one night after an elders meeting and came in, and my wife was sitting on the couch. And um, it appeared she had been, she, I don't know whether she'd been hit or fallen, but both eyes black. And as a young husband, I'm a baby, and she is weeping. She's got a blanket wrapped around her. Sweetheart, what, what happened? What's wrong? And she can't speak. This is the days before cell phones, so I'm, I'm about to, to you know, run to a landline. And she says, <laughs> and she points, and the TV's on. And she had it muted because it was a commercial. I said, what is it? And she wiped the mascara from under her eyes. <laughs> and she says, oh, this, oh, this show, it's just, and it comes back on and there's a family and there's a baby in ICU. And, and that baby's only got a few days to live. And, and they wanted this child for so long. And she's, and I've realized this story has beaten my wife up. <laughs> and I said, baby, well, is it over yet? No, it's only got about 15 minutes. I said, baby, maybe, maybe the baby gets better. Maybe there's a miracle. And she said, there's not. I said, there might be. She says, no, I saw this last year. <laughs> so I went over and I said, well, then let's turn it off. She said, don't you touch that. <laughs> Give me my 10 minutes. I just want to see the end. My wife loves love stories, stories about people who love each other, parents who love babies and, and moms who love dads and, and, and kids who love others because in her, way deep down inside, we are all still carrying the same little card from junior high school that says, do you like me? Check yes or no. Do you love me? Do you love me? Love is so deep within us. Jesus, of course, says it's the greatest commandment, to love God and love others. Now, that's about my wife and I. Now, two things about Jesus. Thing one, Jesus chose, chose stories over every other form to teach with. Matthew puts it this way. He did not say anything. Everybody say anything. He, oh, come on, like grandma. He did not say anything without using a parable. Now, okay, Matthew may be being a little bit of a hyperbole here, but what he's saying is Jesus taught. And if you just put out all the red letters of Jesus, you've got this one section in John in which there is a, quite a bit of teaching, but otherwise Jesus doesn't do stand-up lectures. Jesus tells stories. Okay, if Jesus tells stories, maybe, good idea for those of us who teach. Can I get a oh yeah? The master teacher, the most quoted, written about, sung about, teacher in all of time. He loved stories. But the second thing I need you to know is that Jesus had a mission. In John chapter 17, he is in the garden. He is pouring out his heart to God. 
And in that prayer, he says something that reveals that he came to pull back the curtain between God and man so that we might truly know him. Listen to his words. Father, the time has come. Do we all know what time he's talking about? Yeah. He's not talking about closing time. He's not talking about quitting time. He's talking about crucifixion time. Father, the time's come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given to him. Now this is eternal life. Let's read these words together. That they may... Jesus' mission, yes, to die for us. But he could have done that in a much shorter period of time. Why then all of the stories? Jesus' mission was, again, to pull back the curtain between God and us so that we might truly know him. So he chooses to use stories to pull back the curtain between God and us then maybe it might be fun to look at the stories of Jesus through a particular lens. And here's, here's the lens. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. This really isn't the lens. This is just a reminder to me that Jesus' stories are not meant to be dissected, but they are meant to dwell. Can everybody just for a second recognize that we are a mechanistic world how things work take it apart put it back together autopsy it divide it up give me a chart that wasn't the world that jesus walked and talked and lived in it doesn't mean it's a bad world but it is a world that pulls us toward dissection instead of dwelling let the words of christ everybody say that word would you dwell it's a resting word it's a come on in this house and sit down word it's a be still word now I'm going to adjust scripture in a way I don't think is blasphemy let the stories of Christ dwell in you richly. How do I do that? Well, it's probably no shock that a mechanistic guy is going to think about four questions I can bring to it. But these questions are about dwelling, not dissecting. If you want to read a little something about the parables, there's a, uh, an, an author, a Jewish, she's of Jewish background, named Amy Jill Levine who writes a wonderful little book called Short Stories by Jesus. That was her little title for it, in which she talks about parables. And her main <coughs> gripe, peeve, is that we take the parables of Jesus and we boil them down. Here's the story, here's the moral. We treat them like an Aesop fable. We treat them like a, a, a parable that is just, and the moral of the story is. And we're dissecting it just to get the moral rather than letting it wash over us. And this is, a, this is a rubric of mine. This is not Amy Jill Levine's, but certainly it's something that, that in reading and using that even as a text for that class, book, uh, uh, class that I uh, teach has helped me to think 
about freshly looking. Because here's the other problem with the parables. We know them like the back of our hand. Most of you, I could call out a parable and say, would you please stand and, and, and share it? And, and, and you could. Now, there's a whole bunch of scripture we couldn't quote, but we can share those parables. Can I get it? Oh, yeah? Because they stick. But we're going to look at the parables of Jesus through these four lenses. First, it's a love story. I'm just going to put that blanket over all the parables. Every parable, every parable. Every parable of Jesus is a love story. And within that love story, as we look, the first question is, who's the lover and who's the beloved? Who is the one that is loving and who is the one that is receiving love? And yeah, there's probably multiple angles on it, as we'll see. Then what is the obstacle? Now that third question is necessary because you can't have a story, a real story, without an obstacle. Uh, Bob wanted a drink of water, so he got one. It's a beautiful story. It's uh, rich in meaning and no. It's not a story, right? And yeah, okay, it's a fact. Bob wanted a drink, and he got a drink. The story is, Bob wanted a drink of water, but there was none in the house. Or Bob wanted a drink of water, but he could not find any anywhere in the desert. Bob wanted a drink of water, but he had no money to buy it. Bob wanted a drink of water, but he was chained in the corner of a cell and spent his day dreaming about the moment at the end of the day when they would bring him a small, dirty cup of water. You see, it becomes a story when there's something standing in between. A buddy of mine who teaches storytelling says, um, a story is very simple. Somebody wants something and they can't get it. And so, and then fill in the blank. A guy wants a girl. A girl wants a job. Two folks want a child. Somebody wants to get out. Somebody wants to get in. But, and then the rest of it. Now when I, I take that framework and I lay it on a parable as a love story and I look for the lover and I look for the beloved and I look for the obstacle my danger is if I stop there I've just been a you know a story exegeter or dissector where is the window what window you say remember when we said Jesus is pulling back the curtain that's a that's really a window curtain where is the place what is the vision in the story that helps us to see God. Jesus said that they may know you, Lord. What if we said that every one of the parables was Jesus pulling back a curtain and giving us a peek through a window at the nature of God? Well, the first thing I need to tell you is you need to buckle your seatbelts because parables become different. Instead of simply bad guy, good guy, uh, uh, mean guy, uh, nice guy, you're going to begin to look past that, and parables are frustrating. They're, I'll give you an example here in just a second. They're frustrating because when you start looking for the nature of God, you begin to see the reason why parables are so enduring. They're not simple. They're not wrap it up in a box. It's not an I Love Lucy episode. 
The parable is designed to stick with you after the teller is done and send you out chewing on it. My dad uh, grew up in Texas, moved out here to California. And back in the day in Downey, California, where he was the minister, Sundays was fried chicken day at our house. Anybody else remember fried chicken days? Yeah. Mom would make fried chicken. There'd almost always be somebody we'd invite over to the house. And when mom cooked a chicken, mom cooked a chicken. On the plate was the neck, was the liver. Somebody help me with some of the other pieces. The gizzard. Now, if you've never had a gizzard, may the Lord bless you and be with you. If you've never had fried chicken livers, there are places in the South where you can pull up to a Popeye's or a, a Oh, goodness, Colonel Sanders and get fried livers. I used to take my mom. She loved the livers. And as a kid, my mom and I would both eye those livers, you know, and, and think, oh, I, I want a bite of that. But my dad would take the gizzard. Now, the gizzard is just tough. I, I don't even want to go into the biological issues of what a gizzard is. But needless to say, it takes care of things, and, and, and it just stores things that are tough to digest. My dad, I never forget, would say, oh, it's all right, I got it. That's a poor boy's chewing gum. And he'd put that gizzard in his mouth, and he'd begin to chew on it, and chew, and chew, and chew. Well, that's my way of implanting this little thought in your brain. You can't get a parable just by reading it. You have to chew it. It's gizzardy. You have to kind of come back around and say, and once again, our little rubric here, who's the lover? Who's the beloved? What's the obstacle? But here's where I really got to chew. What am I seeing about God here? Now, to, for, for our example and kind of for our little case studies, we're going to go to John 15. If you have your Bible you want to open up there, that's fine, or your glowing tablet, whatever. Or if you have it memorized, you can sit back and relax. It begins with, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. By the way, why were they gathering around to hear him? I think because he's such a great storyteller. This is Jesus they're speaking of. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did what? Muttered. It's a word that means you know, kind of grumbling and snarking. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now that is the prologue for the three possibly most famous Ah, there are some other parables. The Good Samaritan ranks high. But for the three, the trio of parables, that is one of them, the most often quoted and written about. Three parables about a shepherd, one parable about a woman, pardon me, a parable about a shepherd, a woman, and a father. Now, remember our rubric, three questions. What are our three questions? Who is the lover? Who is the, the loved? What is the obstacle? And where is the window all right so let's start with this first one a story about a shepherd <clears throat> suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he who's the he shepherd doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until, who's the he? The shepherd finds it. And when he, who's the he? The shepherd. 
finds it, he, the shepherd, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and he, the shepherd, calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Well, I tell you, in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What's the story? There's a shepherd who has lost a sheep. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, and maybe even as a younger man, used lost sheep. Are you a lost sheep? And in that, I put the focus on the sheep. Sheep, oh, why didn't you stay with the shepherd? Oh, you need to get back to the shepherd. Listen to the shepherd's call, otherwise you'll end up a lost sheep. Well, the problem with that interpretation is that the word lost is a verb as well as an adjective. Because the first time we hear it, we hear it not about the sheep, but about the shepherd. Who lost the sheep? And whose fault was that? You see? See what I mean? It's gizzard time, folks. Here we are. Because we're saying, no, 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 no. It, because you all have already jumped ahead to the window. I know what the window is. The shepherd is God, and he loves us so much. Which, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to walk with you there, but back up and chew the gizzard with me. He lost the sheep. The shepherd lost the sheep. The sheep were just being sheep. What are you saying? God lost us? Chew on that a minute. What would it mean to think that the God who loves you so dearly made some kind of choice? that would allow you to get lost. Well, oh, Jeff, wait a minute. Are you blaming? No, 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 no. Just slow, slow, slow the roll. Just chew the gizzard. Chew the gizzard. One of the things that God did in the very first biblical story, after Adam and Eve have been created, he places man in the garden, and he puts something else in the garden. Now, this is a primal story that the Hebrews told their children so they could understand who Yahweh was. They put him in the garden, and they put, he put a what? Tree in the garden. And what does he say to the man? Don't, don't eat this. Okay? Dude, I've had kids. You don't put the cookies that mom made for her Bible study or her book group on the table and say to the three boys, now these, these are mom's cookies for tonight. So y'all can't have any of them. Do you understand? There's fruit bars up there or rice cakes or, you know, pasteboard to chew on. I mean, you know, here's, 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 here's all the healthy stuff we want you to eat. But those 
double chocolate chip cookies, both dark chocolate and white chocolate. Mm, 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 mm. Don't touch them. What might have been a better parental approach? How about one? Don't put them on the table. How about two? Don't tell the children. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of riffing with you here. Do you think that might make sense? There was a shepherd who lost his sheep. Well, now, wait a minute. That, that, that shepherd didn't cause the sheep to be lost. Well, in the story, that's pretty fair. But if I open up the window and I look at the nature of God and I see that God made a choice, he made a choice to let me choose to wonder. It's called free will. It's called the ability to choose. My dad used to say, God gave every man the right to be wrong. And it's true. There were ways to restrict that. But as another author says, if you take away choice, you take away love. God so valued love that he would give us choice. You say, wait, what's choice and love got to do with one another? If you can't choose, you can't love. Well, what do you mean? I put a gun to your head. Nah, nah, even better. I, I, I take somebody you love and I put a gun to their head. And I say, you're going to marry this girl. No, no, if you don't. Oh, please, no, oh, oh, I'll do it. Are you choosing? Well, in some kind of sense you are, but the truth is I have removed it even better. Uh, let's say that the folks at Apple finally get to the place where a little device could be implanted somewhere right up here close to your brain that would allow you to, with a small controller, control your children. It's not like a zapper, but it's just a thing where, kind of like a gaming controller, you just move it and they just, oh, I've got some homework to do, and off they go. You press the button and they just say, oh, I don't want to hit him. So if you could get one of those for your spouse, just sit back and dream just a minute. Honey, what kind of food do you want? Indian food sounds great. Oh, okay, if you want it. They hate Indian food. All you have to do is just hit the button and you could get what you want. The day they put it in, he, she lost the ability to love you because you now control them. And love is based on choosing. Is everybody tracking with me? It's a hard gizzard because I've got a shepherd who let a sheep get lost. Now, one of the things Amy Gillivine says, there's a hundred of them. How in the world is a shepherd going to even notice one that's missing? I mean, I, yeah, I'll tell it. Back in the day, I had, we had three boys. I have gone home from church. Catherine and I have driven in different cars, walked through the door, and have her say, where's Spencer? I thought you had Spencer. Honey, I came up and tapped you on the shoulder when you were talking to those new people and said, Spencer wants to ride with you. No, I had only three. I lost one. We, uh, we haven't seen him since. Uh, <laughs> we, 
we heard he's living in Alaska. We don't know. No, actually, if you really want to know what happened, this sweet little couple, older couple at our church, I run out, I jump in my car, I'm flying out the driveway as they pull up to our house. Open the door, and our five-year-old, <laughs> that's what makes it really good, <laughs> pops out of the back seat, and they just roll down the window. <laughs> Is this yours? So what about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep? First thing I want you to know is he counts them. Every one counts. Who's the lover? Oh, I do believe that the shepherd is the lover. I do believe that we're seeing into a window of a God who says, don't you dare discount her because she's fill in the blank. Don't you dare discount him because he has chosen to blank. I'm so nervous, and I'm still trying to shed an old story. And the old story is, if you love someone, you approve of them. If you love someone, you affirm their choices. If you love someone, you put a stamp of whatever you do is okay by me on them. And that's just not true. For God so loved, okay, if God loved the world, we know there's things in the world, in us, that he does not like. In fact, the Old Testament will even give you a list. Here are the things God hates, and they're in us. I've got to understand by looking through the window at the nature of God that I can love my neighbor, love my son or daughter, love my friend who is making choices that make me just want to scream. So what does the shepherd do? You know, I told that sheep. I'd said, if you don't stay by me, you're going to end up in a cave someplace dying. And don't you blame me. Because I told you. I told him when he started kind of heading off around the edge, don't, don't, don't get over there. Don't, don't get over it. Fluffy, back over here. Don't get over there. long time and then I read this parable not only does he first lead the 99 who do you love it's easy to love the 99 can I get an amen it's much harder to see in the distance or even not see he doesn't even text me back she never calls, but to love, love that sheep and to take responsibility for what you can do. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he doesn't beat it up. He puts it on his shoulders. And because it doesn't seem to be able to handle it, he carries it. And when he gets back to the house, what does that shepherd do? He puts that sheep in time out. He puts that sheep on probation. He says to that sheep, you stay right over there, because I can't trust you anymore. He throws a my sheep's home party. He gathers his friends. 
All right, gizzard chewers, I'm going to let you out of here, but you're not going to stop chewing because of what I'm about to say. If the shepherd is the lover and the sheep the beloved, and the obstacle, the obstacle is something that stands between the lover and the loved one. In this story, it's distance. The sheep does not close the distance. The loving shepherd does. And the window? Strange coming back. We have a God who is willing to close the distance between a wayward sheep who is willing to leave the 99 and go out there in the crags and the crevices and the hillside and to pick it up and just even, what can I do? I'll carry you to see that sheep loved and returned. So how's that working for you? Who is your sheep? What's the distance you need to close? What does it look like to know that's how God feels about you and me? Bow your heads. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy of harbor. Send us out chewing on this, Lord, because it's not supposed to be easy. Father, may we think about the sheep and the distance, and what we need to do. God, I pray that there are some texts that might be sent today, some phone calls that might be made sitting in some pretty place on our campus to someone who is distant from folks right here in this audience. Father, not calls to chew them out, not texts to remind them of what they aren't, but to let them know how they are loved. And then, Father, may we find a quiet place where we can own our waywardness and recognize we're not in the party because we found our way there. We're in the party because you carried us there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in the name of the great lover, Jesus, in whom we all pray and say, amen. God bless you. Enjoy your next class.